Let us pray. Father, thank you that you never leave us nor forsake us. That you are always with us, undergirding us, sustaining us, strengthening us. You are so good and gracious. So now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everybody. So good to see all of you here. Even with vacation season, we just creep up a little bit in attendance each Sunday as folks are more and more comfortable returning. And good morning to everyone watching via the live stream. You are missed, but um, just for the record, from your rector, I understand why some of you aren't able to be back at this point, and you have my full support in that. And we miss you and love you, and even though you're apart physically, we are all together. So good morning again to each of you. I invite you to turn in your Bibles or on your, in your, on your devices to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. When I say turn on your devices, that's not to Facebook or to the news site or weather.com, but to a good Bible app, amen? We're focusing this morning on our New Testament reading, and we'll be looking at the fifth chapter of 2 Corinthians today and again next Sunday. What Paul, St. Paul says in verses 1 through 10 of 2 Corinthians is very much in line with the themes we've been touching on together in recent sermons, specifically themes such as hope and strength in Christ, both for the present and for the future fullness of life in Christ. Additionally, 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 10, our reading today, is a word of encouragement regarding loving our place in this world once again which we've talked about in recent weeks, specifically touching again on the truth that God's will is not simply for you and me, for us to hold out until Jesus returns. Rather, God's design, I'm going to say it again, is for us to thrive and to be vital witnesses for the gospel right here, right now in this place, despite challenges and difficulties, despite hardships, for truly truly the Lord has called us here for such a time as this. Amen? So let's talk a little bit about our present hope and calling that we see in verses 1 through 5 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In verse 1 here, St. Paul begins with these words, for we know, for we know. And the implication here is that what he says in the following verses is not intended just as a word for him and for his fellow apostles. When he says we, it means collectively. The implication here is that what he says in the following verses is for all of the congregations under his leadership and by extension under the authority of Holy Scripture, it applies to Christians in every age, to All Saints Church, to you, as well as to me. And St. Paul begins here with a word of hope and a picture of that which is still incomplete or is yet to come, that which is being fulfilled. And he gives us the imagery, this imagery to anchor us and to give us godly courage for our present calling and ministry. Let me read verse one again in its entirety. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands eternal a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. 
we have. We have, brothers and sisters, a building. I think there are several important points here to note and to make application of here as we consider our present hope and calling. First of all, we have is in the present tense. It's right here. It's right now. It is already in this moment our possession. And it's not somehow that we've experienced this building from God in all of its fullness yet. This is something that is still in its fulfillment future, at least in part. However, as believers, people who are new creations in Jesus Christ, we have a Christ-based certainty, the firm, unwavering assurance about this promise of God and about the future. And we know this with absolute certainty because it is established in and through Jesus Christ, the eternal son of God who died and rose for us. Just as a side note here, talking about this, a minority of interpreters through the centuries have talked about this verse in terms of the church, but this is not accurate. What St. Paul is referring to here in theological language is anthropological. It's human focused. It's focused on the individual. Each of us as believers in Christ have this tent, this dwelling that God is perfecting. He's speaking of the individual resurrection bodies each of us will have as believers. Specifics of that are beyond the scope of this sermon this morning. But we have the assurance of this reality that is grounded in what Christ has done. The bottom line is this, brothers and sisters. We have the certain assurance that our existence is not limited or restricted merely to this mortal, earthly, physical life. That we as new creations in Christ have already entered into eternal life. That is not somehow anchored or dependent upon this physical body, but the moment that we were made alive in Christ, we entered into eternal life. And even though this mortal flesh will die, that in no way diminishes the reality of the eternal life, which we are already experiencing and entering into. And the converse is true too. Those who are outside of Christ are already in eternal death, which apart from Christ will be experienced in all of its fullness after they pass from this mortal life. And that should be sobering for us. That should be sobering for us. Even as Chris Royer, director of Anglican Frontier Missions, talked about so profoundly last Sunday, these things, brothers and sisters, heaven and hell, eternity with or apart from Christ, these are real truths. This is not something theoretical. This is not something figurative. Our souls go on forever. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12 reminds us, now we have received, speaking believers, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And then as verse 5 of 2 Corinthians 5 also emphasizes, we have the spirit who is from God, not the spirit which is of this world. The spirit which is from God, God, the Holy Spirit himself dwelling in, in us. So even though we live in this, this tent, if you will, of mortal flesh, that is not the sum total of who you and I are as believers. 
because we are also temples of God, the Holy Spirit. Think about that. The Holy Spirit of God himself, the third person of the Holy Trinity lives and dwells inside of you and me if indeed we belong to Christ. And this reality makes all of the difference both here and now in this life and for all of eternity. Because we have a house made by God, which he is building in us that is eternal in the heavens. A little later in the service today, at my request, David is going to lead us in a mighty fortress is our God, that wonderful great hymn of the church. But because we have a house made by God, eternal in the heavens, and that's something that Martin Luther grasped as a reality, he was able to pen these words, not knowing if he was going to be burnt at the stake or drowned or drawn and quartered or hanged. He could write these words even from a dark prison cell. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. It should be a profound word of encouragement to you and me. A word of encouragement to, to stay the course, to be of good courage, not based on something we work up from within ourselves, because that would be futile, but by the presence and the power and the grace of God, the Holy Spirit, living and dwelling inside of every one of us who knows Christ. We should be led and driven and guided by God, the Holy Spirit, with an eye for the big picture, not just these temporal things. And I'll talk about that in detail a little bit later. But it raises the question for every one of us, as we're called to be the people of God, to be missional, not in some formulaic self-help or church help book way, but biblically, as God works in us, what is God calling us to? What is God calling you to? What is God's will? We know God's will is to call us to himself to greater and fuller unity with him through Jesus Christ. But what about right now, right here in this world? And I, I want to take a moment to speak to some of our younger people, our youth and our young adults. What is God's will for you? This is a good time to be pondering, guys and girls. This is a good time to be pondering this question. Not, and please hear me, this is not a statement about being anti-education, but not, you know, can I get into the very best college or get the very best career where I can make a lot of money? But what is God calling you to? And I'm going to say this because I believe with all my heart, God is going to call some of you to vocational ministry. And I'm not pigeonholing everyone or anyone, but God is going to call some of you to vocational ministry. God is going to make some of you deacons and priests in his church. 
God may make some of you missionaries. But regardless of what God calls you to, we know this, that wherever he places you, whatever kind of career path he he leads you in, he's going to make you a light for the gospel there if you continue to walk in his will. And I'm going to speak for Father Jed here and myself. If you have questions about any of these things, please come and talk to us. We want to walk with you and we're not forcing. <laughs> Just you, not me. <laughs> yeah. You didn't know all you signed up with as associate rector. Again, we, I, I know I'm on a rabbit trail, but it's not a rabbit trail. This is the heart of God. Um, folks, youth and adults. I'm not trying to pigeonhole anyone. Not, we're not trying to put you into a pathway and tell you what God's will is for you. But we do, I do want to invite you as your rector. And this doesn't go just for youth. It may be for some of you who are much further along in life. Discern and listen and explore what God might be calling you to. And don't think, oh, well, I'm, I'm too timid or I'm this or I'm that because it's not about you. It's about what God is going to do in and through you by his power and his Holy Spirit. So what is God's will for you? What is God's will for us as a church? And yet all the while, Paul says, while we are in this tent, we groan. Look at verse four. For while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. So that what is mortal can be more and more fully swallowed up by the life and the fullness of Christ in us. What this verse talks about, this groaning, is not just, oh, woe is me, things are so bad. That's not the connotation here. The connotation of the Greek word here is that of sighing, that which comes, if you will, from hopeful longing, from a desire. Very much like the imagery of a woman in childbirth. Yes, in pain, groaning, sighing, but there's a hopeful longing of that which God is bringing forth in this new life, in this child which she is giving birth to. We, brothers and sisters, even now, being, have begun to be clothed by God with this house, this covering which is eternal and incorruptible. So that even if and ultimately when this earthly tent, and we all have one that's getting older and getting grayer and getting more wrinkled, my daughter reminds me of that regularly. Even if this earthly tent is destroyed, that changes nothing of who we truly are. We are God's. We are his workmanship and his instruments to reach this world and live in obedience to him, conform to the image of Christ, regardless of how worn and ragged this earthly tent becomes. Now let's talk a little bit about our present course for courage. This longing, this sighing we just spoke about, it's not just about longing for our perfected spiritual body. More significantly, it's longing for the fullness of our salvation in the presence of Christ. But also both here as well as ultimately in Christ's presence. It's about all that is connected with sin and death and human fallenness, fallenness being engulfed by the life of God. 
As Victor Furnish says in his commentary on this passage from 2 Corinthians, all that pertains to one's mortal, excuse me, all that pertains to one's mortal existence is overcome when salvation is complete. Yes, that will only happen in perfect completion after this mortal life is passed. But, hear this, but, if you and I truly long with a God-giving longing, as verse 4 says, that we should be further clothed, that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life, we will be growing to be more fully conformed to the image of Christ and to the character of Christ's. It's what we call sanctification, being made holy, being made in the image of Christ. Or think about it this way. It's moving in that process of fuller conversion. Yes, we are converted to Christ, but then we continue being converted, meaning we are converted, we are conformed more and more to who Christ is. The orientation of our lives shifts more and more fully to Christ and his kingdom. Let me read verses 6 through 10 for us. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or or evil. The point that St. Paul is making to us here is this. It is not where are you I reside physically that matters. It's not where we reside physically that matters. Whether it be somewhere here on earth or in heaven. Rather what matters is the focus, the the orientation of our lives. God calls us, and in Christ we are indeed citizens of his eternal kingdom, regardless of where we are currently physically residing. With our eyes focused on and our lives guided by his eternal truth and the supernatural realities and priorities of his kingdom. And his kingdom is much more than simply what is tangible or visible to us. It's not simply by what we see. And sometimes the church has gotten that all messed up. Because the church has become materialistic. Or the church has become, and I'm speaking broad church, not necessarily this church. But the church of Jesus Christ has become materialistic or focused on things of this world and this life exclusively. Or somewhere across the spectrum, the church has gotten all balled up in politics that have not a whole lot, if anything at all, to do with the kingdom of God and of his Christ. We are citizens first and foremost before anything else of God's kingdom. And his kingdom is not just physical. And we need to orient our lives accordingly. It's why we say every week, as we profess our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed, we believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is visible and invisible. That invisible reality is just as much a reality as that which we see and we can touch. 
and we can feel with our, our tactile human senses. So here in this age where God has placed us, we must decide and continue deciding, are we going to be guided by our citizenship in Christ's kingdom and by what is believed of God's eternal truth? Or are we going to lower ourselves to something less? Are we going to believe in the realities according to Holy Scripture, both visible and invisible? And if we do, are we going to orient our lives accordingly? Or are we going to be guided by appearances, outward things, superficial things, temporal things, not anchored in godly truth and in faith? To quote Victor Furnish again on 2 Corinthians, he says this, the issue is not one's present place of residence, but what one gives as one's home address. What place claims one's loyalty, where one, belong, where one longs to go? Let me read that again, because I think that is profound. The issue is not one's present place of residence, but what one gives as one's home address. What place claims one's loyalties, where one longs to go? So what is our home address? What place claims your loyalties or my loyalties? Where do we long to go? Where do we long to be? And which kingdom or whose kingdom are our lives being oriented toward ever more fully as we walk out this Christian life? Because that will make all the difference. Yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and be at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Let us pray. Father, draw us to yourself. And in doing that, Lord, set our affections, set our eyes, set our hope, the priorities of our lives on your eternal kingdom and the priorities of that kingdom. Lord, orient us more and more fully to you. Speak to us and guide us and convict us by the spirit of God himself living in us that we will walk in obedience to your call for our lives as individuals, that we will walk obedience, in obedience as a church family. That, Lord, all that we do would be to please you, to glorify you, and to live out the realities of your eternal kingdom even now. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.